Hello, friends. You are about to embark upon a special two-part episode of The Dunce's Corner. You can sort of think of it as your quarantine binge-watching special. No doubt, many people are still facing lots of suffering and uncertainty, and that occupies a lot of our thoughts. But I think we just needed to think about something a little different, as a kind of release. So, consider these episodes a sort of late-night trip to the freezer to pull out a pint of mint and chip, and some Riesling, and some apple pie. Not that I've done that recently or anything. In this first episode, we tackle the topic of how Catholics might approach watching TV shows and movies in a discerning way, and we give you a glimpse of some of our favorite things to watch. In part two, we go in depth into one of the Dunce's favorite recent shows, The Good Place, and we try to put the kind of thoughtful viewing we talked about in part one into action. Part two also includes a rousing game of Guess the Plot. All in all, we figured, since many people are getting a little more screen time these days, we might help you curate your respective watch list. So, here's part one. Hope you enjoy it. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dunces Corner. It is uh, Easter time as we are recording this. It is Easter Friday, and per usual, I am joined by my good friend and colleague, Dr. John Minert. How are you doing, Dr. Minert? I'm doing great. Hallelujah. Easter. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You trying to get your fill of hallelujahs <laughs> in right now? Yeah, yeah. That may have been the first time I said it since Sunday, though. Nice. Did you I'm flick a bad on Catholic? Did you flick on the lights during your home home uh, liturgy, Gloria? No, by that time, all the kids had passed out. Only <laughs> one kid was awake, and he took the little bell. He was such a butt about it. And he like went by his brothers, and he was like, ding, 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 ding. They didn't Happy even wake Easter, up, though. Happy brothers. Yeah, Happy yeah. Happy Easter. Okay, nice. He fought the whole way to get there, though. His head was bobbing and stuff. And he was like, no, no, I'm going to ring the bells. He made it through all of the Old Testament readings. Uh, good for him. He gets points there. Uh, oh, yeah. And we're and we're also joined by Trey. How's it going, Trey? I'm doing great. Yeah. How's the Easter version of quarantine going? It's going good. Yeah. It's like weird because I don't really know how to. I'm like trying to have to. I'm trying to figure out how to celebrate Easter while while not leaving my house. With a <laughs> lot of so, marshmallow peeps. I'm not a big Peeps fan. And chili. I do like chili. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Peeps and the chili. Yeah. And uh, we're also joined by Brady. <laughs> How's it going, Brady? It's going good besides the reference of Peeps and chili as a celebration <laughs> for Easter. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we'll get to Peeps and chili later. But uh, it's good to see you, Brady. I feel like we haven't seen you in a while, huh? I know. It's been a while since I've been on. I think it's since like the beginning of that. Yeah. How you been holding up? Holding up, holding up, just trying to keep working for the church, do different things so we can still reach out. How has wedding planning been for you and Ansley in the midst of quarantine? Has that changed a bit? I think it's been very humbling. Um, there's no like promise of, will there be like a public ceremony? 
come November. So that's pretty, that's a pretty humbling fact, but otherwise, mm. I mean, the, it's still beautiful because we still get to like journey and still get to do this together. And that's the most important part. Right. So I'm lucky in that sense. Very lucky. Yeah. Well, this is where all of your canon law questions, you can start thinking of them more realistically, right? Like how many people do we actually need to get married? The desert island questions, stuff like that. All we need is the celebrant, me, her, and two witnesses. You don't even need the celebrant if they put you off for more than a month. Yeah. Okay. You can just well, find your two witnesses. Mm-hmm. I'll witness it over Zoom. I'm ready. <laughs> can you witness it over Zoom? Does that count? <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know about that. That's an added dimension. <laughs> and on that note, we're also joined by Elise. Hey, Elise. Happy Easter. Hey, guys. Happy Easter. Happy yeah. almost Divine Mercy Sunday. Ooh, that's right. Yeah. So Better is be it making a, your Sundays ice right, cream? It, is that a thing for you, like regularly that you it's make? Absolutely a thing. That is awesome. I I push for it every year. I uh, discern religious life, and I made it a thing in the convent. Nice, good work. <laughs> I have enjoyed the fruits of that idea in previous years. The fruits or the sweets? Exactly. Exactly. And then lastly, we've got Catherine. And Catherine, you're saying you've been feeling a bit angsty these days or what? What's going oh, on? Oh, I've been so angsty. Um, <laughs> my, I've, I've, I've had a lot of hobbies. Um, I've basically become what I wanted to be when I was 12. Um, I, I play Minecraft now and I just listen to My Chemical Romance just <laughs> on the daily. So... I mean, I think I, if that's not like an edgy kind of person, I'm not like other girls. I play Minecraft (laughs) and I listen to My Chemical Romance and that's it. So it's, it's good. I think that's how I'm processing the quarantine because the quarantines, it's, it's done a number on just my existence entirely. Sometimes I'm like, am I still a human? Even though I can't like, do the things that I'd normally do. And I'm like, yeah, okay. All right. Well, I'll just, you know, keep going. So it's, yeah. it's good. We're, we're trying. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. Some days are good and some days are bad, but this can definitely do yeah. something to your psyche. Right. For sure. Definitely. And it, you know, I'm seeing posts from friends and things. It definitely seems like this is like the point in time where people are starting to get like really uncomfortable. <laughs> like it's yeah. like the, the length of time is really setting in for sure. But on that note, I think that's why for this particular episode, instead of sort of dwelling on the difficulties of it, we, I figured it'd be good for us to maybe bring a little mindless hope to the people because you know, everybody is totally watching more shows because what else are you going to do besides play Minecraft and listen to My Chemical Romance, but watch more shows, right? So it's a good chance for us to do a little uh, reflection together on the world of media. And Catherine, you back in the day had sent me this video um, in which you were really captivated by, you know, what you had watched. I think that disciples today watch the offerings of contemporary secular culture not as fans, but as doctors. 
Yeah. Um, so I was procrastinating as I do. This is like months ago, maybe in January or something. Um, but I am someone who, I don't know, I guess is really drawn to the creative spirits of people and that kind of stuff. And so I started watching it. And the first line that really, uh, you know, got me was when she says, she says, I'm not something along the lines of like, I'm not shocked that there's a bunch of like, you know, terrible stuff in media and all that kind of stuff. But I'm more shocked when I see something beautiful and holy and and true and good, because I don't know where that's coming from. You know, it's coming from the human spirit somewhere. And I Mm. think that just, I don't know, it, it gave me hope that even though we are, you know, you don't necessarily have a bunch, you don't have to have a bunch of Catholic creators, or you don't have to have a bunch of even just like Christian movies or anything like that to have people who are desiring truth and desiring goodness and desiring beauty and being able to create that, um, especially in just things that we wouldn't necessarily think, right? I'm a big proponent of there's always, even though some things just seem to be piles of poop, like there's always good golden (laughs) nuggets in them. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that, and especially when she goes on to talk about how there's this, you know, the the shows of our time kind of focus on this element of human suffering and how we're all kind of um, just the way she describes it is we're suffering and it's, it's vocal and it's because we live in a world without God, right? Which isn't true, but it's also, you know, the, the social psyche is like, we don't have God right now. And so, it was just really interesting to see that portrayed and hear her talk about that and say like, yeah, no, I can point to that um, and see how the world that's portrayed is really suffering. Mm. Um, if that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, I'm also yeah. just someone who loves authentically portraying the human spirit. And I love being able to look at how media and stuff like that is able to even get a glimpse of just the realness of the human spirit and not just necessarily uh, though you do need the, the comedy and stuff in there, but not just necessarily like, ah, we all suck. You know, like getting to something deeper. Yeah. 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 So so just to give a little background for people um, who are listening. So you stumbled upon this video and it's one of those Ascension presents videos and Ascension, they do a pretty slick job with all of their videos, right? Like father Josh is on there and things like that. And um, it's this lady, Barbara Nicolosi. I'm not sure how she pronounces her last name, but I think it's Nicolosi. And she seems to be, I'm guessing like a writer or maybe she's done some sort of work um, consulting on a few Hollywood films. I think she might've consulted on the passion of the Christ, things like that. So she's got a little uh, more insight into sort of the world of Hollywood and the media. And um, she, even though the title is a bit clickbaity, it was something about like, and Catholics watch R-rated films. And there's Dr. Might with a, with a poop background. That's excellent. Nice. Looking for the nuggets right there. Um, even though it's a clickbaity title, she seems to really be going after how do, how are Catholics supposed to approach media today? right? Like, what's a good stance of a Catholic who's going to engage in watching television shows and movies, that sort of a thing? And you're someone who seems to be pretty 
engaged in media? I mean, you are a, a bit of a content creator yourself, right? How's your uh, um, quarantine adventure going? <laughs> oh gosh, it had to be halted because school is a bit overwhelming. But yes, I do. Okay. I do pride myself on making things. <laughs> But yeah, in your own experience, I mean, just what was it like in your family when it came to watching TV or going to the movies? Did your parents have any sort of limits or ways of going about that for you? Oh, yeah, definitely. We, we would, I mean, there was a time where I remember it was like a big deal that my brother turned 13 and like he could finally go see like a PG-13 movie with my dad. He went to go see like the Indiana Jones movie like Shia LaBeouf or something like that. <laughs> so it wasn't like, and also my whole family are just a bunch of scaredy cats. So we would never like necessarily go seek out some like R rated horror film or anything like that. Um, but I mean, as far as censor censorship and that kind of stuff, like, you know, we'd watch uh, the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation every year, which is kind of scandy at parts. So we'd either fast forward through those, or if you couldn't like skip like a word, my dad would just yell. He'd go like, ah, no. <laughs> <laughs> we'd be like, what? Nice. What are you like? Cover your eyes. <laughs> that was, so that was like our censorship, but it was, it definitely wasn't just like open gates, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that my parents had much gave much thought to that so i watched all sorts of stuff when i was a kid like you know and, and whatever just whatever my uncles were into all of a sudden i was watching it and yeah so i definitely saw a whole lot of crazy um yeah i don't know how about the rest of y'all how were you i guess formed when it comes to approaching media there wasn't much of a filter in my house like we didn't, they didn't tell me not to watch something specific or to watch something specific. I mean, I kind of had free reign on whatever I want to watch, which is, I mean, bad looking at it now. But at the time, I, I thought it was so cool because I had all the freedom in the world to do what I wanted. Mm. Um, I don't know. In, in some ways, it, it was problematic for me growing up because it kind of, what I was watching to me became a normal. And it was what all my friends were watching. Um so I found it kind of refreshing that she said, okay, in the video, she goes on to say something along the lines of, so tell me what your friends are watching. Okay, let's watch it together. And right. like, I could imagine that awkward moment of sitting on the couch and watching what I used to watch with my parents and being like, well, this is nice. Huh? <laughs> so funny now. <laughs> Every joke that was like super hysterical before turns into, oh, that's super uncomfortable. Okay. That's nice. <laughs> so lovely. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, do, how would you define the approach of Catholics to the media? Like someone who cares deeply about their faith. Is it sort of like um, an outsider looking in? Like she, she talks a lot about sort of like analyzing you know, which sort of gives you a bit of an outsider perspective. But elsewhere in the video, she says something like, you don't want your kids growing up being sort of like they're staring out the window, you know, and 
they're sort of sheltered on the inside and just be like, wow, look at what all every, the, what the rest of the world is doing, you know, while they're sort of locked inside. So she wants to sort of avoid that sort of uh, approach to the media. But I mean, how would you define it yourself? Like what, what's a good way, I guess, for someone, you know, think of uh, the popular TV shows that have come into existence, you know, um, Game of Thrones was a big one that caused a lot of talk, right? Because like whether people should be watching that sort of a thing because of, you know, pornographic scenes and things like that. Um, but I don't know. How would you all describe it? Or how, how do you approach it yourself? I mean, you're talking to a guy that never watched Game of Thrones. I was never into yeah, the Game and I don't, of Thrones. And I don't mean that show thing. in particular, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I was, uh, I was going to use one that's super specific to the Catholic world. A lot of people I know that are Catholic have watched this show, and a lot of people just around my age or a little bit older than me have watched this show, The Office. Mm-hmm. Um I think it has beautiful humor. It really speaks to like everyday life, but there's some parts of it. If you go farther on into the series where it gets a little, it kind of teeters the line. Like you have one episode where Dwight is in an adult store randomly. So you have tons of blurred out images of nude people. And obviously you don't see it, but in some ways, it kind of makes that that way of life of doing that seem regular to somebody who may be watching it that may be too young watching it or who doesn't understand, right? So, Yeah, I, I think the phrase that Barbara used in the video was aliens and their own culture, right? So like they don't, like you, like you shouldn't want your kids to grow up as aliens in their own culture to where they don't even know what's going on. Um, and so like, like with me growing up, kind of going off of what Brady said, there's definitely like some movies that, uh, I'd watch with my dad, uh, and like we both thought that were funny, but like I watched them now and I was like, wait, I watched that when I was 10 years old. Oh my gosh. Like what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you let me watch that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, I mean, obviously I, I turned out fine. But I mean, I can definitely, I can definitely see how subconsciously, like me viewing a lot of these movies at a young age, has played an influence subconsciously how I view movies and like media today. Just because like that's what I grew up with, um, and so kind of looking back on it, yeah, I do think there is that I shouldn't have been watching those movies right um but i think there was just for me as i kind of find like where's this line like where's the line between being alien to the media versus like uh versus way too exposed it kind of like i think of it as there's like there's like a box right there's a box to where this is a level playing field right? It's okay to cuss every now and then if that adds value to the story, if that communicates something, if that says something about the character, the time period, the situation that they're in. But like some movies I watch, there's just like 30 uh, expletives within like two minutes. And it's just like, okay, this isn't necessary anymore. It's not necessarily adding anything. It's just in and of itself obscene. You know, mm-hmm. um, and so it's kind of looking at what are the red flags kind of that you, that you see. Um, and I kind of look at it and I say, like, OK, what is 
is this adding something to the story? Or is it just there, as Barbara would say, because the author is tailoring it to a certain audience that he wants to reach, and he knows that if he does this, that'll bring them in, and that more people will watch it. I also think one thing that hit me when watching the video is though it is Catholic in nature, like what she's saying is Catholic, like you do have to step away and kind of look at it, but she used the word diagnose. And to me, when I hear that, it almost seems more existential in nature and it sounds more um, uh, like Nietzsche in nature. It sounds like a diagnosis of God being dead in society. Um, Specifically, Whenever he talks about God being dead in in a threefold way, how he died on the cross, he died in philosophy, and he's died as a social glue of how we we hold together in society. Whenever you're diagnosing different things of like lacking in it, it's to me it sounds more Nietzsche esque than. So wait, are are you saying the method of diagnosing itself is Nietzschean, or you think the diagnosis she offers is a Nietzschean diagnosis? No, I think it's more the fact that she's using the term diagnose to okay. me sounds like it's Nietzsche. Hmm. Doctors are Nietzschean. There <laughs> Every one of them. There you go. <laughs> so I, I but I, I think the fact that she's offering some sort of diagnosis is super important. Nietzsche's diagnosis was that, but his prognosis, what he would, what he would suggest for them to do is he says that we have to find social glue with the aesthetic life, which is like why we find ourselves in this kind of situation. It's we find bonding between the shows we watch, the art, all of those different things because of the offering that Nietzsche brought after nihilism and rise of secularism. So to me, I would agree with Trey that you have to like wean your kid into it. You can't just like dump them off into like this, this show that kind of maybe objectifies someone or has vulgarity within it. But I think especially now she, she's super right for us to, to be able to look at things and not separate ourselves so much that we're not part of that social network, that social glue, but be the person part of the body that says, Hey, though it's like a good show, like there are parts of it that could like, that could be better. There's parts of it that we can point to and say, Hey, like we're still part of this, but this is what I kind of think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, that weaning thing, I, I like it too, at least in the respect of, um, I, I'm in agreement that you don't want people thinking of the culture as in like quotes as like something that's out there and you are like cultureless, like floating around and you get to diagnose it as sort of like an outsider. Like Cardinal George who passed away. And I think, I don't know. I saw in an email. I don't know if Bishop Barron, this is like the anniversary of Cardinal George's death or something. It must be pretty close, but Cardinal George was um, the Archbishop of Chicago, and he was, I think, an astute observer of the culture. And a number of articles I read of his, one of like the main points that he would say over and over again is, like he he didn't want Catholics to think like that they could simply just condemn the culture from an outsider point of view because you are being formed by it and you are a contributor to it. 
And so whatever diagnosis, I guess, gets offered has to be a diagnosis that is um, from someone who has some part to play and maybe even some empathy towards that culture, you know, like you, you can't just like dismiss cultures like um, whole and entire as if there were nothing in them that um, was at, at least attempting to seek after what's true and good and beautiful to bring back the sort of imagery that Catherine was talking about. So um, I think just as a general principle, I think that's helpful, right. To think about it in this way, like we shouldn't just, be out to affirm or condemn the culture like we're an outsider to it. We're, we are definitely a part of it. We're being formed by it and our own choices are contributing to it. And cultures can be um, various, right? It's not like there's only one single monoculture, right? Any, any way that you could group a particular community, their choices and their actions and their habits and customs are going to be, have some sort of role to play for the culture of that community. So you could be, you know, part, part, a part of many cultures, so to speak, that sort of a thing. Um, but then when just zeroing down a little bit, like when it comes to me and I'm turning on Netflix and I'm going to choose a show to watch or something like that, right? Or Amazon Prime, whatever. Like, I don't know if for me, it's not like a, a matter of like, uh, how many curse words puts it over the line for me or something like that, you know? Like, cle- clearly, if it's just like, full of you know junk from the beget from the get-go like trey was talking about the first two minutes are just like expletive central left and right you can sort of get a feel for like yeah i don't think this is going to be the thing that i'm going to start watching but um at least i for me there has to be something genuinely good that i'm after in that show by choosing to watch it and i guess like other decisions we try to make morally like i i know that art has a very formative influence on me through my imagination. And so it's always trying to get me to love something, even if I'm not necessarily going into the show thinking about that. Um, it, it is having an effect on me. And so I guess I, I have to ask myself at some point if, you know, if the first episode was good enough and I was like, okay, I think I can watch this. You know, a couple episodes in, I'll start to ask myself the question, like, is whatever good I'm after here, is it worth putting up with the junk that is also in these episodes, right? Because lots of shows are going to have lots of junk in it, too. So, you know, there have been times where I've started watching something, and it's like, I think this is worth it. And then as the season goes on, and it's like, yeah, I think I need to make the decision to cut it off, you know? Like, um, as an example, the show Vikings, you know, like I started watching that on Prime. Um, our friend, the professor at the seminary, uh, Michael Lane, is the one who first recommended it to me. And so I had a historical interest to sort of watching this sort of a thing. And the characters seem uh, very interesting. There did seem to be some virtuous characters and then some vicious ones. But as the season went on, it's just like everybody ended up becoming vicious, you know? And it, it was hard to find myself... Um, I don't know. I just like... I, I guess I just felt like... If I keep watching this, I don't think it's going to be good for me. You know, like I've bought into characters that are now turning out to be, um, they're like undermining virtue, you know, without me even noticing it. And so after a while, I just made the decision, like, I guess I'm done watching this, this show, that sort of a thing. So, you know, at least what have you been thinking? Nothing. Uh, no. Um, yeah, 
I think exactly what you just said is what I've been thinking. Um, the video that uh, we were speaking of earlier, she mentioned almost in the quote in quotes what you said is about. Uh, I think she was speaking of the show House of Cards. She had to stop watching it because she was like, you know, I know enough to speak with her friend she was dialoguing about like hey why are you guys watching this hey what's it about like what draws you to it but it just wasn't good for her to continue watching it because it wasn't good for her and um she kind of had to like reassess like why why am I watching this and uh like it was drawing her into just it just there wasn't good things about it um and then what I was thinking earlier was Trey was speaking of kind of just, I think when you were saying the red, the red flags, Trey, it reminded me of like, we should be forming our children as Catholic parents to be discerning spirits of like, what is good in shows, what is bad in shows so they can watch it later and know that even if they're watching it fully, they don't have to turn it off. If there's one thing that is maybe a red flag, and then as Brady and Dr. Pedraza were saying that it doesn't have to be you removed from it. And I think that's important to remember we are bodies. And so we are in it. And if we are in it, then as Dr. Pedraza was saying, it's important that we remember it's going to affect us. And so kind of that last point Dr. Pedraza was making is that if it's not good for us, if it's not good for our soul, then we do, we, we might, we maybe need to turn it off. Like, if it's not leading us anywhere good, you know? Yeah. Maybe one way to get at this, I'll, I'll do like a Pope Benedict move, because he likes to usually bring up two extremes and then show why the middle position is a good one, that sort of a thing. So, like, I think there's an error when instead of appreciating sort of the sacramentality of of art and media, um one error would be to sort of um, spiritualize it. So like, I think you see this error when it's like the only me- good media is Christian media or something like this, right? Like, um, and you get all of like the cheesy Christian movies and, you know, and I, I know like a lot of people like them and I'm not Are trying to step on it. I'm not, not trying to under the bus. <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to step <laughs> on any toes <laughs> here. God's not two, dead two or three. Catherine's been watching that uh, every day of quarantine actually. Or fireproof. Yeah. How about that one? Uh, <laughs> y'all seen fireproof? I haven't. Um, no. Okay. Yeah. And Catholics do it too. I mean, I remember oh, yeah. a, a long time ago when like the Therese movie came out, like I wanted to like it so much, but it was just like, <laughs> it was awful. You know, it just was yeah. not good. So there's a way in which you over spiritualize things or even when you're watching um, a, a regular TV show to sort of only see it for what it can be used for in sort of conveying the faith, that sort of a thing. And I'm emphasis on the only, right? Um and then the other error, I think, would just be to dive in and be fully empathetic with the thing and not have any sort of spiritual discernment about what you're doing, right? You just totally, I'm watching this show, I'm just going to buy in totally to whatever the characters, where they lead me. And that's when you like start watching Netflix shows about killers, and then you find yourself at the end of this se- season, you're like, oh, I'm totally like, I like this killer guy. Like, why do I feel like I'm on his side, you know? Like... 
like, oh crap, maybe that was bad. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> that sort of a thing. Right. So like, a, I think there's, there has to be like this middle way, or maybe that's a bad way of putting it, but like a genuinely sacramental way in which you're actually, you have some empathy for whatever it is that is actually manifesting truth, goodness, and beauty. And it doesn't have to do it positively. Right. I mean, like Flannery O'Connor can emphasize those things in a negative fashion. So like, the show could have things that are clearly bad, but does it show them as bad, right? Like, do you pick up on the fact that they're bad? That sort of a thing. Um, so having some sort of empathy with the original um, creator's intent, but then also being able to say, hey, this actually manifests something. Like, there's something about the faith that illuminates this, and that helps me to see, you know, what I can affirm as just on the level of our common humanity, Um what I think should be corrected, like what is sinful, and then um, maybe even something of God could be manifested, you know, uh, through those things. But I don't know, just sort of a, those are sort of my musings uh, when it comes to approaching media and trying to help my kids through it. You know, I, go ahead, Trey. Go ahead, Trey. I want to, I want to pick on the word sacramental, um, because it's something we've been kind of talking about. And I think it has, it kind of has like two sort of connotations. Like one connotation would be sacramental. Like the, the art itself is conveying something to us that's deeper than itself. Right. So it's can, you know, it's a picture of a, uh, or it's a show about the chivalrous knight. Well, it's a show, but like deeper than that is like honor, bravery, courage, you know, love, sacrifice, things like that. So that, that's one, aspect of it. But I think the other part of the word sacrament is that it conforms us to the thing itself, you know? So like, uh, like we receive the sacraments of the church, we become conformed to them the more that we receive them, the more access that we have to that grace, the more we are conformed to Christ himself. Um, and so I think sacramentally using that to describe the media, I I very much believe that kind of like what we said, like the things that we watch have a drastic effect on how we think who we are and kind of how we respond to things. Like, for example, like I have to be careful about watching the show house, <laughs> like the medical show, because I'm really intrigued with all the medical stuff. Right. But if I watch five, six, seven episodes kind of, interchange i'll start to be like like uh crass and i'll start to be kind of mean and i'll start to kind of um and i'll start to uh you know kind of act like he how he is which is like he kind of operates like above virtue he's he doesn't believe in god things like that um so i kind of have to be careful about that but like even people who are like who let's say who have like who have pornography addictions or who have recovered or who have overcome pornography addictions, you know, it probably wouldn't be the best idea to watch Game of Thrones because, like you said, while there's a lot of good things in it, what is in that show may not be the reason you go to watch it, but it's one of those factors of it that you already have overcome a wound. There's already something that you're struggling with you shouldn't watch something that continue that continues to tug at that vice that you're struggling with, you know, at that sin, at that wound. It's kind of like saying like, if somebody's like a, like a recovering drug addict, right. If they got 
addicted to opioids for 10, 15 years, if they break their leg, they probably shouldn't get opioids. Even though that may be the right thing, there's other medication that we can give them so that they won't get re-addicted to it. You know, so it's the same kind of idea that like I think that's something I kind of think about, like, what is this doing to me as I'm watching it? Like what like being aware of the content that I'm watching because psychologically, emotionally, mentally, it does have an effect going from the show that you watch. Yeah, for sure. Dr. Minor, you got anything on this topic you're thinking about? Yeah, I was thinking about what Trey said. Well, I was thinking about earlier, you all were talking about your parents and their kind of upbringing and how they led you into using technology and watching media and stuff like that. And my parents were total wieners. Um, so they, we, we always had. As in you strict, didn't watch anything. <laughs> well, we no, didn't watch. No Simpsons for you. No, we didn't get to watch the Simpsons, but they had strict limits on the amount of TV or what type we could watch. And that gradually kind of went away as we got older. I generally have a um, more liberal in the kind of classical sense approach to my kids as I'm more like the woman we watched is I tell them things very honestly. They see things very honestly. And then we just talk about it. That's probably not the best approach. I probably should have more censorship, but I have my own kind of, I'm uncomfortable being the censor. I'm okay being censored, but I'm less comfortable censoring others, which makes me a bad father. But I want I want to quote um, you on that. <laughs> but I was and, and as far as like thinking about um a more intentional use of media, I was trying to think about how much self-knowledge it takes to consume media well. I mean, back to what Trey said, I mean it's gonna take a massive amount of self-knowledge to know that you struggle with a particular vice and you either are or are not at a place where you can watch something, right? And it, I mean, a lot of our vices are hidden from us. Some are less hidden. Um, so it takes a lot of self-knowledge to know whether watching a movie or a TV show could be sinful in itself in that moment, right? Watching it um, because of the effect it has on you and your passions, your desires, right? As Pedraza talked about your loves. Or whether it could scandalize you in certain ways, whether you might be prone to certain types of sins in the future. Um, so massive amounts of self-knowledge, but I'm not, I'm not inclined to a kind of censor attitude. I'm more inclined to the know yourself well enough and your kids well enough and other people well enough to know what is or is not out of bounds and then just process it. Right. I think it's better to engage and to pick out the good and the bad and what's beautiful and what's ugly in this rather than just to stay away. Um, yeah. But again, it takes a lot of self-knowledge to know, right? I can't watch, I can't watch a TV show that, you know, will somehow promote feelings of like vanity in me, right? Because I'm inclined to that vice. So if that TV show does that, I'm not going to watch it. Or, I, or this TV show is somehow going to make me more impetuous, right? I'm super impetuous. I hardly think before I make decisions. Now, if a TV show can make you more impetuous, then I shouldn't watch it, right? Um, so it's a difficult thing to do. I'm all for engagement, but it takes a lot of discipline before you can, I think you can do it well. 
And that's the kind of thing we want to teach each other and also our our kids to kind of foster that sense of self-knowledge and discipline so that you can be um, informed consumers, so to speak. Dr. Minor, when you said like helping them process, you know, what they've seen and like make decisions about that. I think that's something that, I mean, is very beneficial for children. Um, that's having spoken that from someone who does not have kids or any say, experience with kids. Let me, let me tell you one of these times I did this and you can judge me. Uh, yeah, no, go ahead. I want, I want to hear more. So we let our kids watch the, the halftime show. Do you remember the halftime ah, show, the football thing? Just yes, totally let had, them watch it. We had a bunch of net missionaries at our house. Oh yeah. How'd that go? <laughs> that, that, was like, that was oh, fun. Oh, we like, <laughs> kind yeah. of turned away. Yeah, oh, God. <laughs> but I was just like, well, here it goes. There it is. Now it's happening. Okay, going to have to talk about that. Yep. Okay. You know, yeah. so you just talk about how the female body is beautiful, right? And the hips don't lie. Can, and the hips don't lie, right? You can use it to do all kinds of wonderful things, right? And mm-hmm. women use their bodies to do all kinds of wonderful things. And, but you shouldn't think about them this way or this way, right? It's that, that is not for you. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not the, to be used, right? That's a person. You have to look at them properly. Now, I'm not sure if they're capable of entirely understanding that. Yeah, that's but, my only thing. But I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan of being candid and just being honest and just being like, hey, like you're going to encounter this at some point and not necessarily like giving it to them before they've, they need to. Right. Um, but if it's something they've already encountered, like not just letting that hang and sit, you know? Yeah, the hanging and sitting thing is a problem. It takes, if you're going to be more open about engagement with the world and about engagement with harder truths, you, it's mm-hmm. going to take a lot more effort. Yeah. It's, it takes a lot more processing time. And it also makes it much more, you have to be much more intentional to watch and be like, did that or did that not? What kind of effects did that have? So you have to kind of like watch long term. So mm-hmm. for example, I let some of my kids watch me play. I played the, um, that new Zelda, that open world Zelda. It's freaking yes. awesome. Um, <laughs> so I let some of the boys watch me a couple of times. And I noticed that afterward, even, even when I talked to them about what video games were and about proper leisure and whatever, that they were still more exhibited, more violence. Right. Mm-hmm. So that told me that this is scandalous for them right now. And so then I didn't let them do it anymore. Yeah. So there is a, Right. Again, it's back to that self-knowledge and knowledge of the other so that you can consume Mm -hmm. well, right? It's not about um, censoring because the object you're watching is they are doing something bad as if just like watching someone do something bad is in itself bad. It's about the, especially in the media, it's not like you could do anything differently or to like stop them from doing it. It's about the kind of effects it has on your character and on others character. And it takes tons of knowledge to know like that kid can, is going to be okay watching this, but that one, that one's not going to be okay. Mm -hmm. So sorry, second kid, you're out. (laughs) (laughs) You're out. (laughs) You're out. Come on in Anselm, you can watch (laughs) Zelda, but Dominic, no way. (laughs) Yeah. Which must be so hard for kids because kids have trouble. Like, well, that's not fair. Like that kind of stuff. That's right. But even like, I think, I think a benefit of having that kind of mindset though, of like a, you know, I think, I think there's a middle ground too. It's not like, okay, you just let them watch anything and then you just talk about it all. Like that's not the way to go. But 
having them encounter some of that stuff and then talking about it helps not shelter them so much. Right. You know? And it, it, it lets them kind of experience the world in a controlled way with someone like, like well, holding yeah, it's their about, hand. It's about know? framing. It's, yeah. it's about showing them the truth, but then framing it in a true way because you can yeah. get like false, you can get false reads on it. Mm-hmm. Right. So you watch the halftime show and you think, well, wow, women's bodies are beautiful and they're like for me to use. This is fantastic. You know, mm-hmm. that's, you could get that read from it. So you got to kind of come, if you have the encounter, you got to, you have to interpret it in, in the light of the faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I know Brian's told me this before. Um, uh, one of the real markers of kids who stay in the faith are their parents or people who know how to um, interpret events in light of the faith. Yeah. Um, you know, the, from everything from daily suffering, sins they see, movies, death, the whole nine. But it takes it does take a good amount of uh, discretion and prudence to know enough about your kids to know, like, they're ready to have that encounter and have it framed properly or they're not ready. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes a fear can drive parents to not uh, introduce well, you know, these topics to their kids or help them process, which can be, I don't know, I think <laughs> that can be bad, right? Like, um, you, you, you don't want your children learning about sex from their high school buddies, in other words, right? Like, you, you want them learning about it from you and that sort of formation is not just the the talk, right? It's a formation that goes like way back. For the record, I'm still not allowed to watch Zelda. What? <laughs> <laughs> I agree with the fear. Last thought that there is a there's a fear of saying awkward things, right? I think that's a lot of it. Like parents don't want to tell their kids the truth because it's awkward. It's like your mom and I had sex and that's how you got here. Like, let's be honest. Gross. Um, I know, but then it's like, ah. Yeah. Our kids one time, it was Anselm, right? He's standing right there in the backyard. He was like, I saw two Anoles mating. Did you and mommy mate? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And he's like, okay. And I was like, well, see you later. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. that's how that's how I'm awesome that was traumatic yeah i know i was and i don't know how he got from a knoll's mating to like himself but uh he made the jump what's a powerful are you powers of a, deduction i mean and a knoll what are you saying yeah it's like a little green lizard oh he like I'm ran kidding. and he was like i saw two anoles mating and i was like okay that's cool and then he like went right there and i was like nice work my friend those are impressive powers of you know, inference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, fear can, um, you could have fear of saying something awkward, but I, I also think fear leads some parents to just say, don't do that. Right. As if the way to learn yeah. virtue was simply by not sinning, which is not the same thing. Right. Right. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> so finding ways, I guess, to help cultivate in people like what it means to actually have virtue, that's that's a harder task. It takes a lot more work than just saying yep. no. So uh, another thing that Barbara Nicolosi talks about in that video is sort of um, 
When it comes to this diagnosis, and we've talked about sort of diagnosing the self and the other, like the the shows themselves offer some sort of commentary on the culture, like where we're at, right? And culture is like one of those famously or infamously slippery words, you know, like what is culture? But um, if anything, I think it's fair to say that culture at least brings in this combination of customs and habits and choices and artwork and music and um, that manifest sort of the 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 human uh, drive towards whatever is true, good and beautiful. Doesn't mean that cultures are completely true, good and beautiful in and of themselves, right? Because um, we could go after something good poorly. And so, there are plenty of sinful elements that are present in any given culture. But she gave a really interesting insight just into you know, as Catherine was saying when she started this off, that sort of the shows that come out will tell you something about people, you know, at a given time. So, I thought it'd be interesting. I don't know if you all had spent some time thinking about this. If you had a uh, a TV show or a movie that sort of uh, fit the, the zeitgeist of you and your friends from a particular period of time, something that you're into. Anybody come up with something? I had a couple different things. I knew but you I mean, would, Catherine. I, I know. I, I mean, gosh, because I, but I, I felt I came up with a lot of things because also I just my favorite movies tend to be things that like are a little off the beaten path because I'm not like other girls. Um, so uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but okay, I'm trying to think. The one I think I'm going to go up with, and if there aren't any other examples from people, I can give another one. Um, but my favorite movie, and I think this is this just speaks to me, um, but I think would be good for everyone to watch at some point when they're older. It's the 2009 version of Where the Wild Things Are. I'm KW. I'm Max. So what's your story? Why'd you come here? Well... Well, I'm an explorer, and I traveled a lot. Mm. And I traveled by sea. Right. I used to travel by air. So obviously you have no home or family. I have one of those, but... But you ate them all? No. No, I just bit one of them, that's all, and... I went crazy. It's my favorite movie. I don't recommend showing it to small, small children because even though it's like based off a kid's book, it's it's like scary. They got big, like big man puppets doing big things. But <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, I think it really does a good job. It, it follows, you know, the story of this boy who gets really aggravated with his mother and runs away and joins these like these monsters these wild things and like lives with them and then eventually goes back home so it's just you know that kind of journey story but i felt like that movie in particular is really for adults who want to look back at their childhood and feel it in a way like of how it was right feel those feelings again of what it was like to be a child and what it was like to, you know, experience that you don't have control over things and how you get frustrated because you don't understand. Um, and so I just really like that movie because I, one, the puppetry is amazing. Um, it's really beautiful and 
creative in that kind of way, um, too, because the main character runs away. Uh, and I just love running away from my problems. So <laughs> I, I relate in that sense. Um, Did you ever threaten to run away from your parents when you were little? Oh, I had a plan to, but I never actually like did. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it has this, you know, this story of this boy who runs away, but eventually realizes like, I'm not, you know, big enough to run away right now. And like, I can't live on my own, even with these monsters. Right. Um, and I think it's just very authentic. It's not necessarily like pandering. It's just kind of what it is. And it's very relatable in that sense. Um, so I don't know, it's, it's one that I definitely suggest, but it's like a thinking movie that you like sit down quietly alone and you watch and you're like, Oh yeah, I vibe with this. It's, it was Hmm. a, it's a vibe kind of movie. <laughs> well, it's interesting that it came out in 2009. So like that's right after the Great Recession hit, right? So do you think there's something yes. about not a lack of control that was sort of in the subconscious of people at that time or what? I think that could definitely be it. Because they even the way they portray the adults as well in that movie, you know, they portray them as very kind and caring, but also like, that they don't necessarily have control over the things that are happening to them or like, you know, the mom feels at one point that she doesn't have control over her child. Um, which is just like, there's this frustration that's grown out of that because, you know, she's just trying to have, you know, a nice dinner and it's just not happening. Um, and so, yeah, I think it can definitely help people right of any age. Um, but even like adults who are, you know, feel a, a loss of control because of the, I don't know much about the economy or the recession, but mm. <laughs> you know, I, I think that that can definitely help process them process that. That's, that's why I, most of the movies that I like have helped me process things at certain times of my life. And mm. I really liked where the wild things are. Cause it helped me just get through high school and just kind of like, it was something that I'd watch and I'd be like, you know what? I don't understand everything that's going on right now. And that's okay. I'm just, but I can't necessarily run away from it. And so yeah. we'll have to return back, you know, yeah, to real yeah. life. That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Thanks, Catherine. <laughs> I actually texted Katie and I was like, do I have a favorite movie? <laughs> she was like, do you watch movies? And that answered my question. <laughs> Even as a kid, you didn't really watch movies? Oh, Land Before Time. This holiday season, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg present a Don Bluth film, The Land Before Time. Long ago, when the Earth was new, five friends lost and alone Mother, where are you? took an incredible journey. You want to go with me? Through a land of wonder and a land of danger. <laughs> oh, really? Say in my kid. Oh, yeah. In childhood, Land Before Time was by far my favorite movie. Hmm. Is it How because come? you were supposed to be a dinosaur? Oh, why? yeah. I was going to be a paleontologist. I was super into it. And at the end of it, uh, there's this song. And I think it's by Whitney Houston or something like that. And my mom used to hold me and dance every time. 
And then we danced to that at my wedding and we both bawled like babies. <laughs> oh, cute. I will always. No, 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 no. That is not the song. <laughs> What's the main characters? Is it Littlefoot? Littlefoot. Yeah. 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 And Ducky and Spike and Sarah. And, and and that's when scientists still thought there was such a thing as a brontosaurus, right? That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll just call them apatosaurus. Which is now gone fine. out the window. It's like, what happened to the brontosaurus? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's totally gone. I Mistake. guess I just don't know Oops. that because I don't have tiny children who like dinosaurs. So wait, Catherine, did lot. you grow up n- learning that there were brontosauruses or not? Mm. I think I learned that there were brontosauruses, but I was never like, no one in my family. I only have like one brother and he was never into dinosaurs. So none of us were into dinosaurs. But I guess like just from watching like different I guess I got it from the pop culture, like from Land Before Time and that kind of stuff that like, yeah, brontosauruses exist. I wasn't aware of this new development. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they've messed up my childhood. Brontosauruses don't exist and Pluto's not a planet. I don't know. Yeah. It's weird. I've never heard of a brontosaurus. Yeah, there you go. See? Well, you're too young. <laughs> Is that actually <laughs> true? It wasn't even taught to you. <laughs> Say what? It wasn't even taught to true? you. You've I, never I, heard of a brontosaurus? That's totally no. honestly true. I thought you said a bratwurst for a second. You've never heard of bratwurst either? <laughs> no, 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 no. I know what bratwursts are. Like, oh, I never heard of a bratwurst source or something like that. I was like. <laughs> Is a brontosaurus Brontosaurus with the big neck? One of or, them, yeah. Yeah. So I thought, I, I thought we were taught it was a bronchiosaurus. No, there's a brachiosaurus that, and there different. was a brontosaurus, but mm-hmm. the brontosaurus was a mistake. A bronchiosaurus? Brachiosaurus. Brachiosaurus. There's an apatosaurus. Nurse jokes. Nice. Nice. But it's all over the place. Yeah. So I I really, 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 really love movies that have a theme of redemption. Some sort of character who at the beginning of the film or the story is either like really, really overcome with like anger, revenge, had something really bad happen to him and then watching his conversion throughout the story. And then at the end, it's a kind of like triumphing over the, the wounds they they had or their struggles that they went through a couple of movies, Goodwill hunting, Do you like apples? Yeah. Well, I got a number. How do you like them apples? (laughs) One of my absolute favorite, Matt Damon and Robert Williams. Matt Damon's this little kid, this kid growing up in a really bad neighborhood has a lot of bad things happen to him. And through the mentorship of like, and doesn't let anybody in. He's super hard, crass. But, like, through the mentorship of Robin Williams, his counselor, he comes to, like, he comes to discover healing and that. And finally, he's able to, like, take a leap. Because, like, he was, he was enclosed in this cage of, like, his wounds. So, I love that story. Leah Miserable, again, Jean Valjean and Javert, their interaction, Jean... Valjean being able to accept mercy. Valjean wasn't able to. And then um, and then the Count of Monte Cristo. Those are mm. all kind of older. But the Count of Monte Cristo, again, 
a guy who gets sent to the worst prison imaginable unjustly for decades and is like filled with revenge to go find to like to to get revenge and in prison he meets this priest who talks to him who like tries to teach him about just the arts educates him teaches him about god and um and it wasn't until the and a lot of things happen and but it wasn't until the end of the movie and i'm gonna not gonna spoil it when like he truly is able to return to the prison where he was held captive with his with the things that he thought he had lost and he's able to see past his anger and like find like comfort and peace so i love stories like that I think that says really telling of just humans in general of just being able to be redeemed and whatever kind of wounds sat like suffering you go through. Um, was the count of Monte Cristo, was that Jim Caviezel's like big break? Like his it was first, in, it was in 2002. I don't know when the passion came out. Um, after that, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was the 2002 one. That's the one I, I really enjoy watching. So redemption mm-hmm. is a huge theme for me that really it it's very very telling and i can make a lot of connections with myself just being able to overcome obstacles and difficulty and being able to find peace even though like whenever there is so much anger and frustration um but yeah i love redemption i love redemptive movies love it nice anybody else got anything of time gone by I'm so bad. I'm really bad at lyrics. Da, 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 da. I know the yeah. music. I don't know all the words. So you, you like the, the, the recent Les Mis movie, like the Anne Hathaway, Russell Crowe. Yes. Yeah. Like the yeah. really close up shots of Anne Hathaway's mouth during that <sighs> song. Yeah. They turn your dream to That song is amazing. Yeah. Got it. Good to know. I tried to watch it with Catherine once, but we both fell asleep like 20 minutes in. I was like, okay, wait, I forgot how emotional, like how mentally The cinematography, the cinematography is interesting. Like in that, in that scene, like it's almost like they hold the shot longer than most people want it to be. Right. It's kind of like, that's an excruciating face she's got and they're going to keep it there. You know, they're going to keep it there. Anne Hathaway, there's a lot going on (laughs) in that scene. Yeah. And they partly, I mean, I think partly they do some of the excruciatingly long shots and the, especially during the songs, the really close-ups, because they want, they want you to make sure that they're singing. But guess what? They do that at Broadway all the time. So, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Catherine is not impressed. (laughs) That's my beef with Les Mis the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. <laughs> and Trey disappeared. No, and did Trey get roasted because he disappeared? <laughs> That's excellent. Um, well, I'm also like I don't watch very many movies and TV shows. So when I was thinking about this question, I went to my classics. Uh I have kind of my rotating classics. So 
The one that really, I think, portrays me the most is the 2000 rendition of Miss Congeniality. Okay, Mr. Vic, got everything you asked for. Where do we start? Teeth, hair, manicure, pedicure. Which one first? Hey, guys, my teeth, what are you going to do to my teeth? Hopefully, remove the beer stains and steak residue. Ah, 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 ah. Can I get some Novotry? It's only a cleaning. No, I'm talking about Sweeney Todd back here. What are you doing? Your hair should make a statement. As long as it doesn't say thank you very much for the Country Music Award. Ow! Here, you'll be lucky if I can get it untangled. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you know me, then you know that this is my go-to when I'm sick, <laughs> when I, anything. Yeah. I watched this and I really picked it because it, it's my go-to. And then I thought, uh, well, I have to connect it to myself somehow. Well, I was like Sandra Bullock. Yeah. She's awesome, but that's not why I connect to her. So, uh, she is a very likable actress. She is. She is. And I was like, okay, can't connect to her. Um, but then I've always wanted to be an FBI agent. So, yes. And I love FBI shows. But then I thought, okay, I love to help others. So, FBI, they're helping others. But then in a deeper sense, I feel like I've always kind of been, in the past, I was very rigid. And even in my spiritual life, I was like, no. Like, it has to be like this. and. This is like, yeah, it's a little hard to describe, um, but I just, I had to have some people soften me up. So I had to have my team of beauty experts and Victor, <laughs> and it, it was painful. Yeah. It, it hurt, you know, and I had to, uh, I, all I want now is world peace, you know, but there's still a part of me that keeps that <laughs> FBI agent in me. You know, so like I still have that, that Elise there. So still maintaining me, but hopefully I have that part that went through the beauty pageant and is there. Um, and this is all interior, not talking about physical, but yeah. And I've had just a really beautiful team of beauty experts in the spiritual side help me along the way. Hey, way to do the self-analysis of Elise through that movie. That's movie. Uh, that's great. Everyone yeah. should really go watch it. And also, yeah. I appreciate that it's PG-13. doesn't have any sexual scenes because it really doesn't need it. It's pretty wholesome. It has a few little comments here and there. I showed it to the Barra family. They loved it. It's got great lines. I appreciate that fact. It is a good movie. Yeah. Oh. Ansley's watched it three times. Uh, that's nice yeah brady did you come up with anything so i'm not gonna lie to you i did like come up with something but i came up with it like 30 minutes before this all started so may not be the best analysis um i chose a tv show and i chose parks and rec Mm, you're one of those hey bro Listen, I was trying to buy this handcrafted mahogany wood model of a B-25 Mitchell Panchito aircraft. Aw, for me? Don't sass me. I'm a Parks and Rec kind of guy, yeah. Yeah. But I thought, you know, it kind of speaks to, like, the church life. And I thought specifically it does because the whole point of them living out their lives in this show and doing everything that they're doing is because they're trying to build this one park in... I forgot what what's the name of the place that they live. Wow, you're a real fan, huh? 
Oh, show in forever. (laughs) Trey, you just roasted him. I know, nice. I know. It feels nice to be on this side of it. I mean, (laughs) you know, I think the the whole point of it is the fact that I didn't pick anything until now probably shows that I don't watch a ton of TV. (laughs) But what's super important about it is they live out their lives and they all fail and they all do all of these these good things and then bad things and they they learn from it some of them and some of them they still live with their own like their imperfections and all of that but they they still at the end of the show when they wrap it up after like nine seasons or whatever they they succeed and, and the park is built where this like manhole used to be and like this like huge hole where one of the guys broke his arm falling in or leg or whatever and it kind of speaks to my, my life because though I struggle a lot and I still have my own imperfections. I feel like I find myself in every single character, whether it be Donna with Vainglory, um, you have we caught Ron. He doesn't want to be around anybody. He's totally trying to be individualistic and he eventually he grows out of it, but that's like his character, super libertarian, super by himself. And that isolated part where I just don't want to be by people. But you also have Leslie who like is like overbearing and like tries to get in people's faces and tries to be that everything. And then you have like Chris Traeger who's like so insecure about himself. But in some ways they all find themselves meeting that ultimate goal. And it speaks to ecclesial life because we all trying to get to heaven and we all do it. We all can only do it by means of each other. And it means that we have to work past each other's imperfections. And those imperfections actually are the means that we push others to be more holy. Mm. Did the same people behind the office make that show? I am unsure. Yes. I yes. think yes. Michael sure. I think the same guy. Same guy behind the good who place. Did. Yeah, yeah, the good place. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you could say the same thing for the office. I'm kidding. <laughs> that was a wonderful analysis, Brady. But there was no there was no ultimate goal, I guess, in the office, like how the Parks and Rec started with wanting to build the park. To sell paper. That's why. They sold paper the whole time. <laughs> it wasn't like they did it. Like the park wasn't built till the end. It the wasn't The ultimate finished. goal is to show well, how meaningless office work is. To yeah. make money, it, to get rich. Isn't I also would say that lives? part of the goal of the office was the character development of Dwight and him ultimately becoming the office manager. And writing his wrong in ha- doing adultery with Angela and actually marrying Angela. You could, you could also, though, because you could also make a similar comparison to the office as a church. Because at one point, <laughs> at one point, it almost went bankrupt. They had to almost <laughs> sell the business. They thought everything was over. Then Saber comes in. Here comes Saber. What's the ecclesial equivalent of Saber? Please try. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so that so, so wait, 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 wait. Are you, so you going to say oh Jesus no, is I from Florida? Even, I can't say it. <laughs> I yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's it for part 1. If you like what you hear, please do subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. It definitely helps get the word out so others can check us out. 
Stay tuned for round two next week.